We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. Yeah, yeah. It is a football Monday edition here of Home and Home. Brought to you, of course, as always, by ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Try ZipRecruiter for free. By going to ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. My name is Ross Tucker. I'm with you every day here on Home and Home, the Radio.com Sports Original. We're with you live until 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time. You can always go back and check out any segments, any chunks of the show on demand via the Radio.com app. You can also watch us and listen over at radio.com slash home. The us today is not Dave Briggs and me. It's me and Matt Spiegel who joins me for a second time. Make sure you check out Matt on Twitter. He is at Matt Spiegel 670. I'm at Ross Tucker NFL. We are at RDC home and home and at RDC sports. Matt, good morning. Dave Briggs is on assignment. He's definitely, by the way, not on assignment. He's just on <laughs> vacation for the week for Thanksgiving. I just love saying that people are on assignment. So Dave Briggs not with us. You are instead. Really appreciate you filling in again. Hey, man, it's a pleasure. And it's it's nice to watch an NFL Sunday and a college football Saturday with a Monday morning show in mind. I've done it in the past in a lot of different places. And to do that again it really lets you focus on the stuff that pops out to you. You know what I mean? You'd see some good football and some really, really bad football too. Matt typically has a show at 670 to score in Chicago. You can always catch that show as well on the radio.com app or radio.com and search for his show. Just search his name and it'll pop up. We are less than five minutes commercials per hour. Nobody else is doing this, which is why for the holidays, you should tell everybody you know that they need to check out radio.com and the home and home show. All right, Matt, this is what I like to do on a Monday. Okay. You mentioned okay. it was fun to watch NFL Sunday and know you had this show to come on. So I want to give you a blank slate Blank canvas. I have no idea what you're going to say. I just want to know. It can be from the whole weekend, but specifically yesterday, Sunday football in the NFL. What do you think was the single biggest storyline, your biggest takeaway? If we could only talk about one thing on today's show, what would it be in your mind? For me, it's the quality of play overall and the true apparent excellence of the 49ers last night. Because uh, I think Cowboys Patriots will obviously get a lot of conversation today around the, around, the, around the country and with you and I, but that confirmed a lot of stuff. I think we probably already knew. Last night, the Niners looked so good. That defense is so real. And maybe the Packers and Packers fans will say that they're the ones who 
who had the uh, the disastrous showing, but I thought it was the Niners dominating from front to back uh, with Jimmy Ward at the safety and then Bosa and Armstead and everybody up front. All those guys have a lot of sacks and we're putting pressure on Rodgers. And it's just that defense is playing with a collective fervor and an edge with Richard Sherman out there. It's, it's easy for me to, to go to the Legion of Boom to go to those Vic Fangio defenses in San Francisco, which who battled the Legion of Boom at their peak. But I watch that Niners defense and I see a bunch of dogs just feeding off of each other and playing with a frenzy that you have to be nearly perfect to beat, you know? And, and the only time Aaron Rodgers got close to beating it was when they either dialed up a perfect play and or he extended a play and then made a great deep throw uh, after af- after forcing you know defenders to have to cover multiple moves, and he almost did it. He's almost good enough to score some points against that defense. But my God, they're playing so well. And then Kyle Shanahan knows how to design an offense. So I-, I-, I guess it's the quality of the Niners, and maybe it's also in comparison to the Bears and Giants, which I hope we talk very little about today. All right. So you're <laughs> out there in Chicago. So you obviously yeah, man. watch the Bears and the Giants, and so. Your big takeaway was watching the Niners compared to the Bears and Giants. It's two different games. And for the first half, you could have, you throw the Packers in there in terms of the quality of defense they were playing. There were back-to-back possessions. It was like third and 35 from the 10 and then third and 30 from the 10 for the other team um, because that, that Packers defense has, has been playing pretty well at times. But, yeah, the Bears and the Giants was just a horrific football game. They, they took turns giving the other team chances to win. You win. No, you win. Please, you, no, you win. And finally, the Bears were like, okay, we'll win. Um, and, you know, it, it was a one-possession game at the end, and the Bears just had so many chances. Trubisky threw a couple interceptions. One of them, maybe his worst throw of the year, just a throw to straightaway center field that was eight yards underthrown for Javon Wims. Um, even when they look decent, the Bears, it's so obvious that they're broken. And the Cowboys are, are the 30th ranked scoring defense, 24th ranked yardage defense. And the Bears mustered over 300 yards for the first time. Yay. Yay. But it, it was just it was just really bad, ugly football. Um, and then you watch the Niners and the Packers. And by now we know who the good teams are. Right. And to watch the good teams play. After watching the really bad teams play, it's just, it's almost two different sports, Ross. So I want to start with the Niners part of it. And I want to get into what stood out to me yesterday uh, because, boy, there's one thing that trumps everything else in my mind, and it is significant and it is not good for the NFL. We'll get to that momentarily because that was Mm. my big takeaway. But for the Niners, I got to tell you, Matt, I don't really have a rooting interest. You know, I do Eagles pregame for WIP, which is a radio.com affiliate, and I do their preseason television. I grew up an Eagles fan, so it's nice when they do well, just working with them, for them, whatever. But I got to tell you, I would like to adopt the 49ers. (laughs) I love the 49ers. Their defensive line... I mean, their whole defense was just flying around. Specifically, their D-line 
Nick Bosa, DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead. We know about those guys. You know, all those guys, first-round picks. And uh, most of the time, that's where you have to get stud D-linemen. It's like stud D-linemen are found in the first round because there's only so many of them. They're so valuable. I still think it's the second most important position in the sport after quarterback. And their D-linemen are awesome. But how about this other guy, DJ Jones? I never yeah. even really heard of this guy until this year. And he's out there killing Corey Lindsley, killing the Packers. Um, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about what did last night's game say more about the Niners or more about the Packers. I really think it is about the Niners. I, I really think they are that good. They started to get the run game going a little bit. George Kittle is the best tight end in the NFL in my mind. Excellent run after the catch and blocker. And Debo Samuel, their rookie receiver, such a stud with the ball in his hands after he catches as well. Look, I do power rankings every Tuesday, Matt. I think that the Niners are legit. I think they and the Baltimore Ravens are the two best teams in football. I would not hmm. be surprised if it's a rematch of that Super Bowl at the end of the 2012 season. They actually play each other next Sunday, which is epic because I think they're the two best teams in football. And frankly, and we'll talk later on in the show, we're going to have Rob Long, who's on our Baltimore affiliate. But I think the Ravens are going to do the same thing to the Rams tonight that the Niners did to the Packers last night. I think those teams are just that good. But that was that was fun to watch the 49ers. Now, they might have fair weather fans. We can get into that because like the stadium was half full last year. But now that they're good... Those people are going crazy. It just, it felt like the Niners were playing at a different speed. Mm -hmm. I, I agree with all of that. It's funny. The first thing I wrote down um, for the entirety of, of the weekend was actually, I officially know what Super Bowl matchup I want. And you just nailed it. I mean, give me Ravens Niners. And we get that preview next Sunday, like you're saying. But I want to see that defensive line trying to chase down the water bug that is Lamar Jackson right now. I want to see them trying to scheme for that that run attack. I want to see John Harbaugh and his analytics guy, um, who he's got helping him uh, do the right things in terms of game management, try to try to scheme to stop Kyle Shanahan's offense. And that's the thing. It's like that defense is absolutely for real. I agree with everything you, you just said, and you know it better than I watching the line play, how those guys are, but how about what Kyle Shanahan does and has always done, whether it's making Matt Ryan, what he was in the MVP year in Atlanta, whether it's making Brian Hoyer and the Cleveland Browns look competent, if not good, whether it's making money for Kirk cousins along the way as he, as he did. But now uh, Garoppolo looks good. And that run play, those designs and, and you, you tell me, it's it's a descendant, right, of the Mike Shanahan, Rick Dennison stuff from Denver that we watch so much of, right? The zone blocking stuff. It has those concepts, but now he's mixed in all this shotgun stuff. Those run plays hit so fast. And then when they go play action out of those run sets, like a heavy three tight end set, and George Kittle or somebody else is schemed open down the field, Garoppolo hits him and it's game over. They barely, they didn't convert a third down until the final drive of that game, and yet they scored all the points they needed on offense because they're just really, really efficient and really good on both sides of the ball. So you hinted at the power rankings, them being the top. 
I wouldn't quarrel with you if they were number one in your rankings this week. All right, so Matt, are you ready for some big time name dropping? Oh, I love it. I love Princeton guy. Let's see how okay. high can so, he go. So I I have to set this up because this is gonna sound like that's what I'm doing. All right. Okay. But yeah. a couple weeks ago, I had dinner with Mike Shanahan in Denver. There we through go. Through my buddy Ed McCaffrey. It's a long story, right? But, I want the whole story, by the way. Yeah, it, it's funny because well, I'm friends with Ed McCaffrey. I'll give you the short version. Friends with yeah. Ed McCaffrey. I was calling Army at Air Force for CBS Sports Network. Ed was watching the game, and he texted me, and he said, you should stop by my house after the game. I said, are you serious? I'd love to because I had a red eye back to Philly that night. So I stopped by Ed's house. I think we're just going to have a couple beers and watch, you know, whatever SEC game was on or whatever. And he says, uh, oh, yeah, we're going out to dinner in – in 20 minutes. His wife tells me this, Lisa. I'm like, okay, where are we going? We're going to Shanahan. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to cramp your style. You guys have a date night. I'll go to the airport. I'll be fine. They're like, no, no, no. It's not just us. There's a couple other couples coming. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like who? They're like, well, Mike Shanahan. Um, which by the way, Matt, I told this story a couple weeks ago with my co-host Dave Briggs. It's very fun to A, be at a restaurant where you're at the table with the guy who the restaurant's named after. <laughs> I highly recommend that. And then number two, probably to be at any restaurant in Denver with Mike Shanahan and Ed McCaffrey. You know That's what I mean? Royalty. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's fun. So anyway, where I'm going with this is your point about Kyle Shanahan's offense descendant of Mike Shanahan and Rick Dennison. So I have a couple buddies like Trey Teague in Denver with Mike Shanahan or Eric Winston in Houston with Kyle Shanahan and Gary Kubiak that have told me it is by far the best offense to play in if you're an offensive lineman. Because yeah. of the outside zone, all the bootlegs, all the play action, by far the best. Okay. Hmm. I also happen to be friends with Kyle Juszczyk. He's a Harvard guy. It's the Ivy League thing. And a big reason why he signed out there is because he said, it's the perfect offense for me as a fullback and how they utilize me. It's, it's ideal. All right. I know tight ends like George Kittle, but tight ends, I don't know George Kittle, by the way. But I know tight ends have said, dude, this offense is amazing. All the boots and play action stuff. I come across on the crossers. I'm wide open. I get big chunk yardage. Okay. Uh -huh. Then you have, I'm, I'm good friends with Sage Rosenfels, who played in Houston for Kyle Shanahan, played for 12 years, a bunch of teams, traded three times, said best offense he ever played in, for a quarterback at least, was Kyle Shanahan, Gary Kubiak's offense. The run play action looks just like the run action. Guys are wide open for big chunks of plays. You're protected, all that stuff. Julio Jones has said that. Andre Johnson has said that. And we know every running back loves it because every yep. running back that's ever in that system. So, Matt, we're talking about an offense in which literally every single offensive position, someone at that position, multiple people at that position have said, man, it's the best offense for my position. 
Matt, I got I got a little new breaking news here. If every single position says that the <laughs> offense is the perfect <laughs> offense for their position, yeah. maybe it's just a good offense. Maybe it's just the best offense. If I have buddies or guys that played for multiple teams, multiple offenses that they're like, oh man, uh-huh. that Shanahan Kubiak off every position, Matt. Unbelievable. That's great stuff. That That's great stuff because it's one thing for me to say it as a guy who's watched the league for a few decades. Um, and then it's another to hear it from all those people who play the positions and feel it. But it, it makes all the sense in the world. I remember realizing it when Olandis Gary had a thousand yards in Denver. And I was like, who is Olandis Gary? And he was the latest guy who was not Terrell Davis to succeed and get a thousand yards in Denver. It was just one after another after another. And, you know, Arian Foster and everybody else in Houston with Kubiak and just everywhere they've been. And now to see what Kyle has done incorporating some of the the more, I don't know, whether it's collegiate schemes that have crossed over or more modern or more retro football, depending on how you want to look at it, right? It's it's just so sensible. And what you said about guys being wide open, that Debo Samuel touchdown that you talked about, and he is money after the catch. That was after two really good running plays, I believe, with Tevin Coleman. And 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 Samuel was was wide open and just had to beat one guy, hit perfectly in stride. And this is what I'm saying. Matt Nagy's offense in Chicago looks horrific. And I'm not just talking about Mitch here. Matt Nagy has been found out. And all like the misdirection and cutesy bells and whistles stuff that worked last year, nobody's buying it anymore. Everybody's like, well, let's just see what you can do. Can you run any basic stuff? And the answer is no. So everything looks so slow. Every run play that the Bears do, whether it's Montgomery or Tariq Cohen, it's so slow developing. And and I'm saying yesterday as I watched the game, boy, it'd be nice if Mitch Trubisky hit a guy on a crossing route in stride. That'd be nice instead of, you know, um, a Harvard tight end like Ben Broniker going out five yards and turning around. Now I've got the catch and I have my five yards. No, when you watch the Niners, you watch that offense. So here we are. We, we talked about the Niners defense for the first 10 minutes. And now here we are talking about the Niners offense. That's why they are beating everybody and look like maybe the best team in the game. Well, you're right. Think about the big chunk yardage they get on Debo Samuel, George Kittle. Kittle even talked about his touchdown and how wide open he was after the game. Oh, my. We've been running that since, like, week one, and I have to run it, like, two or three times a week. That's, like, a 50-yard route every single time, so it's pretty – I'm just like, hey, Kyle, like, relax. Like, I'm a tight end. Um, And we finally got a call and run it, so that was pretty fun. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it's just corner post. Um, it's perfect coverage running against. Jimmy gave me a perfect ball, and I had to unhitch the trailer to outrun a couple guys. <laughs> See, that, that trailer. I love that guy. I, first of all, I love him as a player. Secondly, I love him as a person. Unbelievable. So fun to watch. He, and he has a chip fracture of his ankle that he's playing with. On the other side, though, Matt, and I know yeah. you probably had some Shaden. Is it Shaden Freud? Shaden Freud? Um, as a as a guy in Chicago who covers the Bears, watching the Packers, I don't think I've ever, Matt, seen Aaron Rodgers and the Packers look that helpless. And this is supposed to be with Matt LaFleur, who's a big upgrade over Mike McCarthy. 
you know, yeah. he clearly got out coached last night. I think he even talked about that after the game. First of all, you got to give the 49ers a ton of credit. That's a that's a pretty darn good football team. Uh, disappointed in with myself with with how we got out coached and we got outplayed. Bottom line, and it's unacceptable. And we got to look at ourselves. And there's a lot to correct if we want to be the team that we we want to be. He looked to me, Matt, at times last night. Like he was kind of overwhelmed. Like LaFleur did. Like, you know, when they got stuffed on that fourth and short, his face yeah. was just like, uh. And for those of you that are listening, I made a really dumb looking face <laughs> because I know not all of you are watching on the radio.com app or radio.com slash home. Some of you are just listening, which is fine. We love you also. But he just kind of had like a blank look on his face. And I got to tell you, Matt, even when it was like 13 nothing, there was part of me that thought, nah, Rodgers is still going to mount a comeback. It's still Aaron Rodgers. Yes. He still has Devontae Adams. He's going to do it. I. It is rare that, you know, like in the NBA, how they say it's the NBA. They'll always make a run. I felt like Rodgers would make a run. Matt, they had one drive. He, he really, they really did not make a run. And and after that drive, in which they ground it down the field, at least one, if not two, fourth down conversions on that drive, and they get the touchdown on third down, and then get the two pointer, then the Niners come back and go seventy five yards in two plays with the with the George Kittle play that that you just talked about and Kittle just addressed. Um, yeah, you know the Niners went into that game allowing a hundred and forty two point five yards passing per game. Ross, 142.5. It's ridiculous. Number one in the league. And last night, Aaron Rodgers completed 20 passes for 104 yards. 20 passes for 104 yards. I don't even know. You know how it's possible? They also tackle. Everybody finished their tackles. I mentioned Jimmy Ward earlier. Dude is a stud at safety. And I just, man, after watching in this town, Ryan Pace just make some horrific draft picks. Not just Mitch over Deshaun Watson and Pat Mahomes. Not just um, Leonard Floyd trading up in the top 10 to get Leonard Floyd. But how about Adam Shaheen from a small college a few rounds before George Kittle goes from Iowa, which is 15 minutes away from Ryan Pace. I know a lot of teams passed on George Kittle. But Adam Shaheen has never looked like a football player in one of the moments he's been on the field as we've watched here as Bears fans. Never once. And I thought, I think you could make an argument that Kittle was the best skill position guy, the best non-quarterback on the field last night. It's him or Devontae Adams. But I, I agree with you in terms of Kittle's athleticism, his energy, his presence, all of that. And, um, I, I, you know... I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it was as much Packers failure as I really do believe it is Niners excellence showing itself as John Lynch, who pantsed Ryan Pace, um, you know, in, in that draft day trade. John Lynch and uh, and Kyle Shanahan have put together something very, very special. Yeah. And I guess I, I think the question now is, will the Packers hang on in the NFC North or will it be the Vikings? And then are the Packers good enough to make a playoff run uh, when they got dominated like that? That was really 
One of the questions our guys in Milwaukee, Chuck and Winkler, were talking about after the game on our Radio.com affiliate 105.7 in Milwaukee. Their offense, it's like a U-shape where they'll take shots on the sidelines and they can have some screens in front of them, but there's nothing over the middle. There's nothing deep and there's nothing in the middle of the field. Is that because Aaron Rodgers, as a lot of people accuse him of, just does not want to throw an interception? Is that because they don't have the speed? They don't have the talent? They don't have the weapons? They, they're not getting the play calling? Why in a game last night do you completely write yourself off a huge section of the field? In their losses, they have done that. I keep coming back to that, and I'm trying to figure out, is Aaron Rodgers at the point where it's not just the Packers can beat bad teams and lose to good teams because that's what they are right now. Is Rodgers at that point? Well, let's give credit to San Francisco. They got a great defense, okay? Uh, the Niner defense had a little something to do with it yeah, last night. Yeah, but is Rodgers not good enough to beat good defenses anymore? Well, San Francisco's defense very good. I think that a combination. Yeah, I, I don't think that it's Rodgers not being good enough, but I appreciate the point by my my buddy Bart Winkler there. He and I have tussled over Brewers and Cubs many, many times. Um, but I appreciate the point about going down the middle because nobody uses the middle more than Jimmy Garoppolo in terms of quarterbacks around the league, right? And that, I'm sure, is by design. And again, that beautiful touchdown to Kittle, which you know locked this game back up for the Niners, is on that incredible pattern that Kittle described, that like 50-yard pattern where it's play action to begin with, and then Kittle's running this what looks like it's going to be a corner route and then cuts it back into the middle, and there's nobody there. So I'll flip it back to you, Ross. Is it that Aaron Rodgers doesn't want to use the middle, um, or is it that the design from Matt LaFleur doesn't demand it as much? There was one touchdown that he missed to Valdez Scantling where he caught it just after the end line of the end zone that was wide open down the middle. They just missed that one. But otherwise, um, why do you think the middle is uh, is not used? It's a good question because that was one of the criticisms under McCarthy, that it was all isolation routes on the outside as mm -hmm. opposed to the middle. And LaFleur coached under Kyle Shanahan. It should huh. look very similar. It should be a very similar offense. Part of me is wondering if, because Shanahan understands it so well, if they were able to defend the middle of the field really well and make Rodgers throw it to the outside. He also, in fairness to Rodgers, did not have a lot of time. I mean, oh. it was bad from the start. Then yeah. Gulaga went down, and it got worse. It was... It was pretty darn ugly. Almost as ugly in my mind, Matt, as people that try to hire people without using ZipRecruiter. That's crazy. Foolish. That, that, foolish. That, that's just foolish. Look, Cafe El Torre COO Dylan Miskowitz experienced how challenging hiring can be after unsuccessfully searching for a director of coffee for his organic coffee company. But then he switched to ZipRecruiter. And he saw an immediate difference. And you can, too, by signing up for free at ZipRecruiter.com enter. You see, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. And its technology identifies people 
with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates faster. In fact, after posting his job to ZipRecruiter, Dylan said he was amazed by how quickly great candidates were applying and found his new director of coffee in just a few days. With results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes? Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ziprecruiter.com slash enter. That's ziprecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. We are going to find out about the E-A-G-L-E-S Eagles. What do you do when you're a $140 million contract quarterback appears Mm. to be getting worse? We'll find out with Elliot Shore Parks. He covers the Eagles and was at that game against Russell Wilson, the Seahawks, for 94-1 WIPRradio.com affiliate in Philly when we return here. To home and home, a radio.com sports original. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. But my concern is the quarterback. This is a guy that yeah. we've tied everything into. And if you look at his whole body of work, yes, the 10 games are included. The stats don't lie. I Don't tell me he's got potential. He could be elite. Look at his body of work, and this guy is nothing more with that body of work than an average quarterback. And that might be being kind. And I know it's harsh right now because of the last week. But his body of work shows he's an average quarterback. That's it. It's really hard to accept, but it's hard to say otherwise today. Great call as always, John. No, I'm I'm at that point right now where I'm reassessing what I think he can be because what he was yesterday, he was Bobby Hoy. He was Kevin Kevin Cobb. No, those guys were terrible under pressure. Those guys couldn't make the simplest throws, and we all mocked them. Well, guess what? Our franchise quarterback was them. WIP in Philadelphia it was a caller, and then Angelo Cataldi, the legendary morning talk show host. It was stunning, uh, to say the least, Matt, and the guy that was there and is there for every day of Eagles football, training camp, practices, and anytime the Eagles are available, Elliot Shore Parks is there. Encourage you to check him out. On Twitter at Elliot Shore Parks. Elliot, appreciate the time. 
Nice hoodie. I'm usually used to seeing you in a suit and tie. I like the hoodie. Uh, very you, comfortable. You. That thank that you. fits our uh, that definitely fits our theme here on Home and Home. Since all three of us, well, actually Matt's in the studio, but we're in our homes. It's Ross Tucker, Matt Spiegel. So I, I, I guess I'll start with this, Elliot. Was that the worst game Carson's played? Yeah, I mean, look, he he had a rough game last year in New Orleans when they lost by 41 points, I think. But in just in terms of accuracy, decision making, and the fact that that game was there to be won, like as poorly as Carson played, the defense kept him in it, and at the end of the game, he had a chance to lead them down the field for a potential tie or even a win late. I mean, he had a, a really bad interception in the fourth quarter that you know helped to seal that game for the Seahawks, and he had a play that I think right now really shows where he's at. It was a key fourth down late in the game. He drops back. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside is wide open. Carson sees him, pulls it back, then decides to throw it and delivers an inaccurate pass. So he's just a complete mess right now. It's hard to reconcile this particular Carson Wentz with the guy who had 33 touchdowns and seven interceptions before the injury in, in 2017. He looked really rattled out there. That the the yeah. play you mentioned, the fumble on the on the handoff exchange as one of the four turnovers, that looked like a guy in terror. He's got no right tackle, or he's got a backup right tackle right now. He's got he's down three wide receivers in terms of injury and 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 a running back too. How much uh, was he rattled? How much do you put on his emotions or lack of poise yesterday, Elliot? Look, a lot's happened to Carson in his career, right? And it's understandable why there, he would feel pressure each week. I mean, there's still a statue of Nick Foles outside of the stadium. So there is pressure on him. But I think sometimes to say that he's, like, rattled or feels pressured, like, moves the goalpost kind of from what his real issues are is just he's not an accurate passer. Like, that is the core of Carson's problems. He cannot throw an accurate ball. And a pass in a league with 32 teams, he's 34th in the league in on-target throws. So there's some backups that have come in this year and been better in terms of their accuracy. I think his decision-making at times is an issue. And I think one thing you hear Doug Peterson say a lot is Carson's pressing out there. He's trying to do too much. And you see that at times with him pulling it down, not taking checkdowns and those type of things. But the issue is is not mental in terms of pressure. The issue with Carson right now is physical skill. Like, he is not an accurate passer, and it all starts with that. Okay, so to follow up, because I watch Mitch Trubisky, and he lacks the poise. I see his supercomputer mm -hmm. not doing its job. That's not what you see with Carson. You don't see a guy who's trying to process too much. You see a guy who physically is not getting it done. Uh, I think overall, I don't see that with Carson. He did it yesterday against the Seahawks and somewhat against the Patriots two weeks ago. But on a larger scale, no. I don't think that's going to be an issue with Carson. Carson knows football. He's really good before the snap. His issue is more just, you know, he, he can sometimes be hesitant in the pocket to throw the ball. And I, I don't think that's – I don't think it's because he doesn't know what he's looking at. I think it's a desire to make bigger plays. But I, I don't think it's a Trubisky level yet uh, with Carson. <laughs> You know, Elliot, I am really glad that you mentioned that fourth down throw to J.J. Ortega-Whiteside because that was horrendous. He yeah. was open and went double clutch like he does sometimes. And then not just off his back foot, but like leaning back off his back foot, he tried to just snap it in there. And was inaccurate. I thought that throw was a microcosm 
of his issues. And part of me thought early in the game, Elliot, when he was missing like the running backs, he was way off. Part of me thought, man, the wind must be a big factor. But Russell Wilson was making some incredible throws right around the same time. Now, Russell Wilson missed a wide open dude later in the in the first half for a touchdown in the end zone, Hollister, where he floated the ball too long while he was running. But Russell Wilson had a bunch of really good throws down the sideline, deep posts, etc. Whereas Wentz, you know, he was he was missing the layups. He he misses yeah. some of the easy throws that it just really those are so hard to come back from if you don't make the layups. And I, I think that's probably his biggest issue right now. Yeah, look, last week I went back and I watched every throw Carson's made this year, and, and I tallied them. And I came up with right around 50 throws this season that are similar to the Miles Sanders one you suggest, you just mentioned, where uh, for those that missed the game yesterday, Miles Sanders wide open in the flat, could, could not be more wide open. Carson sails at four or five yards over his head. There's been four or five throws each game this season where that's happened. And sometimes they don't get noticed as much because people like to focus on the drops um, and those type of things and the injuries. But the fact is, like, the numbers don't lie. Carson's not an accurate quarterback, and that's it, it showed yesterday. Now, yesterday was probably his worst game, as we already talked about, so there were a lot more examples. But this has been an issue for Carson throughout the season. When you ask, why are the Eagles 5-6? and six? Like, why have they not met these Super Bowl expectations? The number one reason is Carson. Like, the, the injuries are a factor, but the number one reason is the quarterback is not playing up to his level. And when you draft a guy number two overall and you pay him all that money, he should be expected to carry you. And his, Carson's not only not carrying this team right now, he's actively hurting their chances of winning. Well, and that's kind of what I don't understand, Elliot. Talking with Elliot Shore Parks from 94-1 WIP in Philadelphia. What I don't understand is, He's getting worse this season. Like, mm-hmm. earlier in the year, I actually thought he was playing pretty darn well. And especially without Deshaun Jackson, I thought he was playing well. And I know, I'm look, they didn't have any of their three starting receivers yesterday. The right side of the offensive line is a mess. I get all those things. But he still needs to not throw the ball behind Zach Ertz on a key third down. Or put the ball on the running back so they at least have a chance I guess I don't understand why he's regressing during this season. You'd think coming off the injury, he would actually be getting better during this season. But he's pretty clearly getting worse, right? Well, so I I personally don't think he was playing as well as you do early on in the year. Like, there were a lot of examples of him making really good plays. But, I mean, against the Falcons, everyone says, you know, they lost that game because of Nelson Aguilar. He had a drop in that game. Carson was atrocious for the first half. And when you talk about Carson's career, it's an interesting one to dissect because so much has happened. Nick Foles comes in, leads leads Carson's team to the Super Bowl. He tears his ACL, breaks his back. All these things happen to him. But now when you look at him, 51 games into his career, I think that what we expect from Carson is maybe not what he is. He was great in 2017. So when you look at him these past two years, you say, okay, he hasn't been that guy. But maybe that was just an outlier. And maybe that was just a result of him playing great against really bad teams a lot of weeks in a row. Because since the start of 2018, the Eagles are 10-12 and 12 with Carson at quarterback. He's not played well. This isn't like a three- or four-week thing with Carson. This is a 22-game thing with Carson. And he's suffered injuries. So maybe the injuries have just taken it out of him. We'll see. But he has to make adjustments. And I will say on a larger scale, too, 
the Eagles hold some responsibility in this. They need to help him out more. They need to not make it so every year he's playing with different receivers. They need to make it so that, honestly, the coaching on this team, and not Doug Peterson, but the quarterback coach, the offensive coordinator, I don't think they're doing anything right now to help Carson. So the Eagles are alive. It's possible they get in the playoffs. Jason Garrett with the Cowboys is certainly doing his best to make sure that happens. So maybe Carson gets playoff experience. But at the end of this year, the Eagles need to take a large look picture at this franchise and decide how are we going to help Carson? Because there is no question of whether Carson's a guy. Carson is this guy, whether he's good or not. They're committed to him for two or three years because of the massive money they gave him. So they have to figure out how to make Carson win despite his flaws. Elliot, let's listen to Doug Peterson this morning uh, talking about the pressure that's on Carson Wentz. We know that he's struggling. He's on the record saying he is, but we're not totally clear on why. Could you give us a little uh, uh, idea on that? You know, it, I think a little bit after the after the game, I alluded to this a little bit in the press conference. Um, sometimes when when you struggle as an offense and and uh, things aren't going your way, things aren't clicking. Sometimes as players, you begin to kind of press a little bit. You begin to try to go searching for plays and trying to create on your own. And listen, Carson is he, he's he's such a great player to he he can he can create on his own he, we've seen him do that and we understand he can do that but sometimes when teams are struggling and when you struggle as an offense you don't have to go searching for a lot of plays just just run the offense and just execute the, the plays that are that are called and sometimes sometimes you get caught up in, in trying to do too much and I think I think when you put that pressure on yourself uh, to perform um, that that can that can manifest itself and and um, we just got to get him, you know, back to back to being Carson Wentz and, and just just understanding and, you know, uh, what we're trying to get done uh, each and every play, uh, continue to coach, continue to, uh, you know, work every week. But um, that's that's what we got to do. So that's Doug Peterson on WIP uh, radio.com affiliate from from this morning. We keep trying to chase down, at least I do, these kind of abstract factors as to why he's gotten bad. And I understand what you're saying, Elliot, that maybe this is just him. But that's mm-hmm. the coach. That's the coach saying it's he's thinking too much. He's trying to do too much. Whereas we watched a guy like Nick Foles just kind of calmly take whatever was there in the offense. Does that part of it make sense the way Doug talked about it? I think there's some truth to that. I, I Like I said, I, I do think he's trying to make bigger plays when they're not there. I think there there is absolutely some truth to that. But I'll also say the Eagles organization are pet, are petrified of criticizing Carson Wentz. Each, each week when he struggles or he has a bad play and Doug's asked about it, Mike Groh is asked about it, they'll say, yeah, Carson wasn't great that play, but you know what? The offensive line has to block. The receivers have to catch. We can do a better job coaching. Like, they have not been willing to point the finger right at Carson, and I think that's what you hear in that answer. This whole Carson Wentz is a great player and he can create on his own. Well, where has that been for the last year and a half? I mean, there's maybe one play a game where he makes a spectacular play, but that doesn't excuse the fact that for, you know, the other 50 plays in that game, this offense has been terrible. I mean, if it wasn't for Jim Schwartz and the defense, the Eagles would be a train wreck for the last year. This offense has been bad, and part of that absolutely falls on Carson. Now, you mentioned Nick Foles. One thing the Eagles talked about prior to this year was 
Carson was getting rid of the ball quickly. He, he knows the offense now. He can get rid of the ball quickly. He can make the quick decision. And part of that is because when Foles came in last year, this isn't even the Super Bowl year. When he came in last year, he had the quickest release time in the NFL from when he came in to when the Eagles lost to the Saints. And the offense clicked at a much higher level. Carson is not only getting, not only not getting rid of the ball quickly, he has his lowest uh, or slowest time to throw average of his career this year. So he's been a disaster in that regard. You know, Elliot, let's let's kind of put a button on the Carson Wentz part of it, and then I got one more question for you. But long term, on a scale of one to ten, what would you say your level of concern is with Carson Wentz as the franchise quarterback for the Eagles? Ten being very concerned, yeah. one being not concerned at all. I would say I'm somewhere between a seven and an eight. Just because when you have a fundamental flaw in your game of being an inaccurate passer, I have a hard time believing that after a full college career of struggling with it, four years in the NFL of struggling with it, that that's going to change. Carson can make special plays. I believe in Carson Wentz, the person. He's a hard worker. Uh, I believe he knows the game of football. But if you can't throw an accurate pass, you can't succeed long-term in this league. You just can't. So until I see that change, my level of concern with Carson is pretty high. All right. And then my other question is, you know, the Cowboys lost again. So the Eagles now play the Giants twice, the Redskins, the Dolphins. And, yes, they play. They host the Dallas Cowboys. Everything we just said. Do you still think that they're going to end up winning this division? I mean, man, each week I say the answer is no, and then Jason Garrett and the Cowboys do something that makes me think they have a chance. Look, (laughs) if the Eagles play the way they did yesterday, they will not beat the Miami Dolphins. They will not beat the Giants. Like, the Eagles, take away the outside factors. The Eagles are playing bad football right now. And under Doug and Carson, they've only won three games in a row twice in four years. So this idea that they're definitely going to win the next three games, I think is a stretch. I think there's a very good chance they lose one of the next two. But the Cowboys could lose to the Bills. They could lose to the Rams. So it's hard to say. I think it's truly 50-50 right now. Uh, but neither of these teams deserves to be in the playoffs. I mean, that, that much we know. Elliot, really appreciate the time. Make sure you check out my guy on Twitter, at Elliot Shore Parks. Does a great job writing all kinds of stories, covering the Eagles. And I must give him credit. He's kind of been ahead of things as it relates to Carson Wentz and his performance. So at least a couple weeks, the last couple weeks for sure, Elliot, you have been proven correct. Great seeing you yesterday, buddy. Thanks for coming on the show. No problem. I appreciate you sitting me with like when I get booed by Eagles fans for saying it. So I appreciate the, uh, the support, <laughs> <my> man. <laughs> Talk to you soon. It, 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 there he is, Elliot Shore Parks, 94.1 WIP in Philadelphia, a radio.com affiliate. It's really interesting, Matt, as we let Elliot go. And he said playoffs. I got something to say about playoffs and Pennsylvania football in a second. But – I'm on the Eagles pregame show, Matt, for three hours, right? And it's mm-hmm. kind of cool. It's at this place called Head House Plaza. And even though I played for five teams other than the Eagles, I grew up an Eagles fan. So it's cool to have 500 fans sitting there, standing there, listening to you. Well, it's funny because Elliot has been very critical of Carson Wentz. You just heard him with the record. You just heard him with the level of concern. You heard him with this is who he is. And – 
there are people that get very upset by that. Very upset by that. So it's one thing to write that in a story or on Twitter and, and face the venom there. But like, I'll be sitting next to him. He comes in for the final hour of the pregame show and people like boo him. People uh -huh. scream at him. Like people are really, and I, I'm starting to wonder now people will say, uh, you know what, Elliot, you were kind of right, but it's like, it, it's almost ugly. Like, I'm glad he's sitting next to me so I can like stiff arm people <laughs> and protect him a little bit. Cause people go after him a little bit. You know, it's funny because the volatile Chicago fan who I have, of course, often dealt with via text or tweet or phone call, when you're face to face with those guys, they almost always either back down completely or smile and pretend everything is okay. Very few people have the courage to truly be themselves and have the confrontation, but maybe that's the difference between the relatively genteel Midwest and the just arrogant, you know, absurd East Coast from which you come. And granted, I do too, Ross. Like the Philly fan maybe just doesn't care. You know, they'll, they'll boo Santa, they'll throw batteries, you know, and, and they'll go after their own radio guys in person. Chicago guys, we get applauded. And then you leave and they rush to the blogs like, I think this guy's a jackass. Well, why didn't you say it to my face? I'm right here. Let's go. Well, it's funny too, Matt. I mentioned this story a couple weeks a couple weeks ago. I went to the Bears Eagles game and I sat in the stands with uh -huh. my wife. She was dying to go to a football game. My friends were going, my first time ever sitting in the stands at an NFL game with my wife. You know, I played and I broadcast. Like, why would I sit in the stands? I, wow. you know, but she wanted to go to a game, so we went. And you can, it is unbelievable when you're actually in the stands to hear and feel how much it really means to people. And for that yes. matter, for that matter, seeing how expensive everything is and people sitting around me, Matt, that, well, let's just say it looked like it was probably a decent amount of their disposable income. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, it really is for people. Look, I'll give you an example. I don't know if mm -hmm. you get these on 670 to score in Chicago, but listen to Eagles Shirley and what she said this morning on the WIP Morning Show. This will give you a good indication. You are the most emotional Eagle fan I know. And you're saying you have completely separated your emotions from the offense? Until, until Doug Peterson and Howie Roseman look themselves in the mirror and say, this is may not be, he may not be ready to be our franchise quarterback, although we already... Um, gave him that title, gave him that money. To me, he's a novice in leadership, and that's something that you're not supposed to do. He still needs somebody to teach him about the game. He still needs some ropes about the game. Because stuff, the way he's playing, there's no, there's no way you want to, you want to, you should keep getting away with that. But since they want to keep calling him the franchise, tag him there, and that's what he is. He's going to bring that same game, that same mentality every time. I was thinking while I was on the hall with you, if I were to give Carson Wentz a test and I would write down, tell me what you think you did wrong, this, that, and the other. I would love, love to see his answers mentally because when you write something down, you're thinking about it as, a, as opposed to what, you, what you're saying about it. I don't think that between him and Doug Peterson, something is definitely off. Between him and you, the other teammates, is completely off. And you've seen it. And I'm not mad at 
do nothing for us. We at that game, people watching that TV on TV, they waiting for the offense because we can beat this team. You saw it. We can beat. We only had three points for the whole, almost the whole game. That last touchdown game is points, but that doesn't matter. All right, Joe, listen. Come on. Are you losing faith in yep. Carson Wentz? Yes. Wow. Shirley's losing faith. Yes, I am. Because if you've lost Shirley, you've lost the city. Listen, <laughs> listen. I, like I told you on Friday, I said my I I believe in that no go. The co- quarterbacks come and go. Team players come and go. I believe in my Philadelphia Eagles. They need to fix this. If they need to, if they he they need to bench him, bench him. You know what I mean? I heard a caller calling after the post game or during the post game after the Eagles game, and the caller was saying same thing that I was thinking that I was feeling. Oh well, that's that's good, all Carson. But if they sit him down, this and then the, and they was they jumped on him. The um the I forgot who it was. They were like, no, you don't jump, you don't put him down. You gotta let him play it out. And he was like, why? If we trying to win games, I don't get this. Wow. If this we trying to win games, Shirley. why sit? Why not sit him down? <laughs> that is actually kind of a toned down Shirley right there. Losing faith in Carson Wentz. I mean, Matt, you you forget until you're amongst the people just how much it means them. I mean, I get there three and a half hours before the game, and so many tailgates are already set up. And it's just like for people in Philadelphia and a lot of NFL cities, every home game is a holiday. And they just had back-to-back holidays that – the Eagles ruined, even though the defense played great. And they should have, they could have beat the Patriots and Seahawks and they let them both slip. This town unifies for the Bears like no other team. Everything else is pretty much split. Even Bulls and Blackhawks get split between fans of winter sports. But it's a Bears town. And after the preseason and offseason that we had, everybody looking forward to it. And then the absolute dud from moment one. For the Bears, it has been the biggest buzzkill that I can remember in this town and in my years covering sports here since 1994. I can't remember any team in any sport with a bigger buzzkill than this Bears season right now. And yet yesterday, as you said, I live right near Soldier Field. I saw what we like to call the blue and orange number people all walking around. You got the jerseys, everybody walking around in their Bears jerseys. And it was a beautiful day. It was 55, 58 degrees in in late November. So it's absolutely, as you say, a holiday and a party. And you go out and you watch your team suck. And what effect that has on you as a person. Man, the conversations around Philly, around Chicago today, around Green Bay today, the water cooler stuff, the stuff on the on public transport as you look at each other and shake your head. You barely even need to say words. Everyone is so affected by it. He is Matt Spiegel. I'm Ross Tucker. I let you start the show, Matt, with your biggest takeaways from yesterday in the NFL. We got a lot more to get to. We're going to preview tonight's Ravens-Rams game. We're going to have our guy Kevin Hagland from Dallas to talk about the Cowboys-Patriots. But I am going to give you my biggest takeaway from yesterday in the NFL. Let me tell you, it's not good. It's (laughs) a problem. It's going to be a problem. And it's the worst part of my favorite sport and the worst part 
of the NFL. I'll explain when we return to Home and Home here, a radio.com sports original. Hey, everybody, it's Ross Tucker. Thanks for listening to the Home and Home podcast. Remember, you can watch or listen live every day from 8 to 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time exclusively on the Radio.com app or on the web at Radio.com slash home. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t